Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm a compliance evangelist, and I'm very pleased and excited to bring to you a special five-part podcast series based upon an interview with Dr. Kyle Welch from George Washington University on his recent paper evidence on the use and efficacy of internal whistleblowing systems. First, a word from our sponsor, Navix Global. Navix Global offers a comprehensive suite of ethics and compliance software, content, and services that helps organizations protect their people, reputation, and bottom line. With more than 13,000 customers, including 85% of the Fortune 500, Navix Global Solutions support the largest ethics and compliance community in the world. Over this five-part podcast series, I take a deep dive into Dr. Welch's paper, and explore why it is so important and significant for the compliance practitioner. We look into the background of why he started to study, what some some of the key uh, information he read uh, to prepare for his research, uh, what he expected or what predictions he had from looking at uh, the numbers. Then we consider what his research found. And finally, we tie it all together with what it all means for the compliance practitioner. This is one of the most significant academic studies for FCPA and and bribery compliance practitioners, and indeed all compliance practitioners. I know you will find this podcast series useful and helpful, as well as the paper, which of course we will link to in the show notes. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist. This special podcast series is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode in my five-part podcast exploration with Dr. Kyle Welch on his recently released paper, Evidence on Use and Efficacy of an Internal Whistleblowing Systems. Dr. Welch, welcome back. Thank you for having me. So now we get to one of my favorite topics, which is, if not speculation, at least predictions. So I really wanted to ask you and really start this uh, episode with, uh, what did you expect to find? And we'll go from there. So uh, like I said I uh, I was open to any finding. Any finding would have been interesting to me uh, as an academic. If we found nothing, that would have been interesting. If we had found something in a different direction than what we found, it would also be interesting. I Before we do any of this research, we talk to people. And we talk to compliance officers. We talk to different people. Uh, you know, somebody with a lot of experience over at Navex. Uh, her name is Carrie Penman. She was a fantastic resource in talking uh, about compliance and you know how these systems are looked at and some of the feedback that's getting get given to these systems. Some managers think that more reports is a sign of more problems, and some people th- think that more reports is is basically uncovering you know, basically things that you just wouldn't see otherwise. And uh, going into it, I was truly open to to the result going either way, uh, uh, either direction. And it's in academia, you call it, it's it's kind of discounted sometimes, but it's kind of, a, it's a horse race. It's a horse race uh, hypothesis where you, there's great arguments either way, right? Like I said, if you were to take a job at one firm or the other, salaries or names being equal, if one firm has more reports internally of problems, the average person on the street, if the, you know, Occam's razors, you know, the simplest answer is, is that maybe that firm just has more problems. Maybe they're a low type. And so I uh, I was open to either either side. What I found from uh, talking to certain people that had been around the block with these systems that were using these systems way before Sarbanes-Oxley is that those that uh, uh, were 
uh, of a certain type, usually a compliance officer that had been around the block, basically would say, look, this is what happens. The people that know, they look at these reports, they see where things are lighting up. They go to that part in the organization and talk about what's going on and, and, and they use it as, a, as an indication, not of problems, but of something where they've dis- they, they have good visibility. And so uh, the the almost every compliance officer I, I talked to had kind of two things in common. One, they saw it as a great system and something that provided visibility. And also they c- frequently complained that uh, directors and managers would complain about the level of reporting. And so in, 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 in kind of the people I was getting advice from, I was getting both, both sides on like, you know, the prediction, uh, the predictions of, of, of both sides of the hypothesis, which makes, makes for good tension in, a, in an academic study. With, uh, with that, what outcomes did you find associated with uh, the robust use of an internal whistleblower system? Okay. Well, this is great. I've been excited to talk about this because this is the neat part about it. So it turns out in that example I gave, if you were to pick the firm that had fewer reports, you would likely be picking the lower type firm or the worst firm between the two based on the averages. Uh, what we did is we looked at a large segment of data, lots of data on this, uh, internal reports uh, from a long history. There's over a million reports that we looked at related to public companies, and then we had access to over three million other reports, uh, again, all anonymous, uh, not disclosing uh, individuals, details, or, or things like that, but enabling us to do the study and to actually connect it with external data to get outcomes. So uh, let me go through some of those outcomes, and uh, I'll talk about the levels of increase what's associated with increase, increased uses, and decreased usage. And we'll talk about some of those, those key, key data points, all right? So uh, those that are power users uh, or you know, high-level users you, you know, that have more activity, we, we, we used a couple of measures of, of, of this reporting. We basically looked at level of reports, like how many reports they have, and then a combined measure of how engaged they were with the reports. How quick did it take them to resolve the issue, uh, which we received a, you know, basically a number on, and then how many times the report was accessed, right? So again, we didn't get details. We got a bunch of ones and zeros, and then we got to count for certain things. And one of the things we got to count for is how many people, you know, how many times a report was accessed in the system. And so the correlation, the relationship is the same across both measures. And so you can just think of it as more reports, but even more engagement is also associated with this too. So what we found is that those that are uh, more engaged with these systems are typically firms with uh, uh, higher quality earnings reporting. They're usually larger firms. They're more mature. They're older. Uh, They're more profitable firms, so firms with a higher return on assets. Uh, They're also firms with uh, more leverage. And uh, uh, they have all. Uh, they are also firms with higher quality governments governance. So, a question that might be out there is, you know, how did you measure governance? Well, in academia, there's this this thing called an entrenchment index, and I can talk about that in a little bit. But uh, we use this measure to measure how entrenched management is, and you know, those with higher you know governance of their organization are the power users, the ones that use it and have more reports and are more engaged with the system. The firms that are limited users are on the opposite side. They are firms with poor governance. Uh, they use more discretionary accruals, which is an indication of you know accounting potential potential accounting manipulation. Uh, they're usually f- smaller firms, newer firms, firms that are less profitable. Uh, 
And uh, and a key attribute here is that firms facing extreme growth, and a, a couple a couple people listening to compliance wise would say, well, why is that? Why would it be firms facing extreme growth? Well, if you think about it, then I mean, the number one rule in an organization is to make you know make the sale and to make make the profit, right? And frequently, the first thing that goes out the door related to uh, you know uh, that rule is compliance is is following you know, certain protocols to make sure that a sale happens. So it's not too surprising that firms facing extreme growth have a hard time utilizing the system because they have to transfer the knowledge uh, uh, of, you know, the culture of the organization externally. But they also have to, uh, they also have to, you know, I'm sorry, externally to new employees. And so every new employee comes on has to be indoctrinated. The other aspect of this is that, uh, you know, they're trying to make closing deals and, and, and making sales. And if that means, you know, you know, doing something compliance wise might make that sale not happen. Uh, it could, could be that, you know, this is neglected a bit and they focus more of their resources on, on making those sales. So that's the high level findings. And then, uh, we use, uh, an, uh, you know, we use that to determine, okay, what should we control for when we look at uh, other outcomes? And one of the key outcomes we look at is litigation. And the reason why we look at litigation is because uh, regulators come with litiga- uh, litigious suits uh, to firms when they violate these, the, these uh, make violations, and, and employees do too. And so we look at material lawsuits that a firm uh, has, and we find that firms that are power users have a lower, uh, you know, a lower level of actual material lawsuits with the organization, uh, with, with, you know, you know, material lawsuits with, with the company. And so what do I mean by materiality? Again, stop me if if, if I'm going through things too a, little, a bit too fast. Uh, as no, a rule, I do, I do want to stop you right there. Uh, okay, you great. said something that I found extraordinarily important, and frankly, I did not uh, fully appreciate from your paper. Use you use the word litigation several times. Yeah, I am a civil side lawyer. Yeah, uh, government enforcement to me is different than litigation. So is does your report include enforcement actions by the government where a fine or penalty was paid, whether that be on the civil and criminal side, or is it litigation by non-government actors only? It, it is any material lawsuit that is brought against the organization. So, so the threshold is not uh, – it's any court-related uh, litigation that a firm is facing – uh, every public, so all, our our results, we because we l- use external data and and tie it into Navex, uh, these results are for public companies using public companies because that's where the data is, and so uh, we we uh, we basically look at the disclosures of litigation that firms face and and the different court proceedings uh, that they are in and the fines that they are going to you know the potential fines and firms have to disclose that based on the materiality of these uh, of these fines or the materiality with these lawsuits so if they have a lawsuit with uh say a a a, a partner maybe they have a joint joint venture with another firm and there's a litigation over that that would be included in this too so this is basically a bucket it's a bucket for any material litigation where there's an uncertain outcome to uh, to what's going to happen to the firm, and the key threshold here is that the it has to be material is the threshold, and so uh, any any 
any outcome that would lead to something that would be less than, as a rule of thumb, less than about 5% of, uh, you know, gross profit, uh, would not be, uh, would not, would not be included in this. And so when you talk about what these lawsuits are, these are actually like, these are not, this is not a trivial count. These are things that the firm and, uh, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the lawyers that represent these for, these are things that are, are, are top of mind issues as far as litigation that they're facing. And what the finding is, is that the increased usage of these systems leads to fewer of these material lawsuits. Um, and so to answer your question, yes, uh, any, anything that would be, uh, uh, w- would be, you know, you know, seen in a court of law, uh, or you know, court filings are happening. This type of thing. This this is what shows up in in in, in this uh, in the study. Uh, Dr. Welch, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. I've been visiting with Dr. Kyle Welch on his academic uh, recently released paper, "Evidence on the Use and Efficacy of Internal Whistleblowing Systems." I hope you'll join us again where our our next episode, where we take a little bit deeper dive into what his research uh, uncovered. Dr. Welch, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my five-part exploration with Dr. Kyle Welch on his recently released paper, Evidence on the Use and Efficacy of Internal Whistleblowing Systems. I hope you will find this podcast series as powerful a tool for you as a chief compliance officer or a compliance practitioner that you can have. I hope you will join us again for our next episode. This This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.